All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show is my brother Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. With our 35th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from this past week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 246 points or six-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 51 points, or 1.1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 144 points, or 9 tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 2.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 3%. Thank you, Jeff. Barring any big changes... With the last three trading days of January next week, uh, we're off to a really good start for uh, 2024. And I know a lot of analysts, yeah, I was going to say kind of the rules. It's kind of like as goes January, so goes the rest of the year, I think is where you're probably going with that. Well, I think one one of the things that I was concerned about going into 2024 is this we had this massive run uh, in the fourth quarter of 2023 and all, all anticipation of these expectations of Fed interest rate cuts. Really, to me, that was the, the, the main impetus for the the big appreciation in the fourth quarter of, of 23. And so as the weeks have gone on, we've seen some you know, fairly strong economic numbers that, to me, might be flying in the face of the markets, might need to dial back their expectations of the number of interest rate cuts that, that the market was pricing in last year. I think some, some analysts, I guess, heard, or some pundits said as many as six interest rate cuts, which I, which I think is preposterous. Uh, considering the Fed only did ele- you did eleven over a couple of years, and to expect them to, to take six of the eleven back doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I'm I'm a little it's it's interesting that the markets have not reacted negatively 
to stronger economic news. And I think the reason is is because the inflation news or those 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 statistics you know, like the PCE number that we got on Friday uh, shows continued uh, progress in getting to this magical 2% year-over-year inflation number. Uh, earnings have been very mixed, in my opinion, uh, especially in the we had we had one of the magnificent seven report in the week just passed, and that was Tesla, and their and their numbers were not good at all, and they were so bad. I'm going to use that in quotations oh. here a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's they use were, that in air so, quotes. They were so quote unquote bad that Jim Cramer decided that it's no longer can be called the magnificent seven. That that Tesla was out, and well, now Jim Cramer's. Yeah, they're going to be called the Magnificent Six. And I had a very interesting question from a client this week asking me, where did the the the, the term Magnificent Seven come from? And I said, yeah, that's a really great question. I, I don't know who started it. It kind of goes along. Who started the, the Nifty 50 in the 1970s? I, I don't know. They even now, still refer to today. Yeah, which, well, they're not they're not referred. So, so now we're to the Magnificent Bring it up. Tesla is now officially out of the Magnificent well, Seven. Thanks, thanks, Jim. Thanks. Jim Cramer. <laughs> if Jim Cramer says that with his money management prowess, let me tell you, we better we better take it to the bank. But so I, I will I will say going you know and I think we mentioned this last week and it still holds true. I'm looking at the statistics through the close of business Thursday. This does not include what happened in the market on Friday. The the uh, market waited S, the S and P 500 composite that every that everybody talks quotes you know in the media. That's the market cap weighted index uh, versus the equally weighted index on third through Thursday, the equally weighted index actually had negative performance year to date versus the market cap weighted index was up just shy of 3%. And as of Friday with Friday's gains, I think it's going to be up over 3%. So we've got almost, we've got this 3% spread now between market cap weighted and the equally weighted and we're not even finished with the first month of the year so this this uh this trend from last year it's it's continuing this trend is continuing yeah there was there's let's talk about the broadening out of the rally and to some extent that occurred in the fourth quarter of 2023 but so far here in 2024 we see it's reminiscent of, of what we saw in the first three quarters of this year, and I think some of that is Kyle is driven by the small caps because the Russell two thousand is down two and a half percent through Thursday. Well, and it, 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 it had a very strong run the fourth quarter of last year, but you know the big question I have in order to get the market breadth to widen is what we're talking about, and the market cap weighted S and P five hundred now once again outperforming, continuing this trend from last year. Well, we know that the value names, the ones that have the lower, low, the lower price earning multiples, and typically these stocks pay dividends, that with interest rates continuing to be at this level, it's still just not attracting investors yet because the dividend income is not enough to attract those investors because they can get more in government bond that is completely risk-free. So I think, Jeff, in order for us to see some wider breadth across the market's perspective, is that interest rates are going to have to get much lower, and I don't know kind of where that magic point is and how long it's going to take 
us to get interest rates to that magic point that will then peak interest of investors to start shifting more assets into the value names of lower price earning multiples because once again as interest rates come down the growth names historically are benefited the companies that have higher price earning multiples are rewarded with investors dollars as interest rates are falling and so there's got to be some point in time where interest rates are low enough to start widening out that breadth and maybe that's what we're seeing Jeff because interest rates have not significantly moved lower to help with that market expansion across the board but let's pick up this conversation on the other side of the break you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management you Money Wise guys will be back after this welcome back you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from this past week, I just wanted to to pick up on the point I was making right before the commercial break, because we're continuing to see this trend where the S&P 500 index market cap weighted, those big tech name, big growth names are still continuing to attract investors' dollars. When we look at the equally weighted S&P 500 through Thursday of this past week, actually showing a negative year-to-date return with the S&P 500 up almost 3% through Friday's close. And, And again, to reiterate the point, that with the interest rates continuing, I mean, the 10-year Treasury closing at 4.14% on Friday, these higher levels of interest rates and a risk-free U.S. Treasury is really still attracting investors' dollars versus looking at some of these undervalued equities that are out there that are paying a dividend. They've got dividend income, but the dividend income isn't up to the level of the interest rates that could be obtained in the Treasury market. And so I think, Jeff, that's holding back some of this market breadth expansion in my mind. And so we're going to have to continue to have interest rates moving lower before I think we're going to see any kind of substantive shift of investors' dollars into these lower-price-earning multiple stocks. Well, uh, well, another, but another, another thing to consider is these the stocks that have got there's so much money that's gotten concentrated in there, and their price-to-earnings ratios have run up so much that they get they get to a point where they they really truly can't justify those PEs with their with their growth rates that we're hearing about from from their earnings and. Unless money goes to those names, well, so far that hasn't been the case. Now, we really get to hear about some of those earnings here from those the remaining magnificent seven in the weeks to come, and I'm not sure which one reports first next week, but I know that that Apple and Microsoft and and Meta are all typically in the same week. Uh, their reporting is typically around the end of the month. So we may be hearing about those names next week. The other thing we're going to hear about is unemployment. 
you know, going back to on Friday, then going back to the economic news of the week, you know, leading economic indicators was negative for the 20th straight month. It was only down one-tenth of a percent. Maybe what the markets were hanging their hats on with this particular statistic is that the six-month period, when you add up the how much the, LA, the leading economic indicators have been declining, the last six months of 2023 was at a 2.9% rate versus the previous six months, which is at a 4.3% rate. So it's like the negativity of the leading economic indicators has been declining. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's people decided to throw this out as an indicator of of a recession once and for all, because now we've had twenty negative uh, negative months in a row. But I thought one of the things that was interesting when there was the commentary about you know six of the ten leading economic indicators were actually positive, but it's the ones that were negative that we're offsetting those. And one of those components of the of the negative leading economic indicator components was uh, low consumer confidence, which struck my interest <laughs> because the Michigan Consumer Confidence Index that also came out last week was the best it's been since 2021. So it's it like, be politically motivated? It what's could just be on? how they, from a political you know, standpoint. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it's it's that this could be one of the reasons. Had, yeah, this this is the first time we've had contradictory economic statistics. I mean, this this one statistic has been so contradictory to what's happened in the marketplace, especially all last year. I mean, the, the recession that we were talking about. If you can go back and look at our shows from six months ago, nine months ago. This the, the recession that we've been waiting on is probably one of the most predicted recessions in the in, in our investing history. Mine's thirty two years. Yours is more than twenty five. Twenty six. So, and it was still it's still not here. The other thing that that the folks at the conf, the, the uh, conference board who puts out the leading economic indicators said that they expect, and here this again kind of made me laugh. Overall, this is a quote. From their from their press release, overall we expect GDP growth to turn negative in the second quarter and the third quarter of 2024, but begin to recover late in the year. But then we have the first reading of fourth quarter 2023 GDP up a better 3.3 percent above expectations. yeah, so and, and let me and let me add some color to that, Jeff, because I read some some interesting articles this past week kind of referring to the leading economic indicators, talking about how economists have been so wrong for so long about GDP growth because this is just the the 3.3% first reading of fourth quarter 2023 GDP. They were anticipating a 2.0% GDP growth and it came in at 3.3. This, I believe, is the fifth or sixth GDP reading, fifth or sixth GDP reading over the quarters, five to six quarters, where these economists have been completely off. And now they're all starting to talk amongst themselves. Is this time completely different than any normal situation in the history of the economy because we went through something several years ago, the global pandemic, that we hadn't gone through in over 100 years? 
and that this is the reason why everything is kind of thrown out of the window with some of these statistics are thrown out the window because we went through such an abnormal time back in 2020 and 2021 and that they just don't apply because they had a mea culpa in these articles where these economists are like, we've just been dead wrong. We have been dead wrong. We've been underestimating the strength of the economy and talking about the PCE, Jeff, the core um, PCE, personal consumption expenditure, which was the statistic that the Fed used to use to set monetary policy, came in for the first time since March of 2021 with a two-handle. It was announced on Friday that the core uh, personal consumption expenditure was at an annualized rate of 2.93%. We have not seen that uh, two-handle on the core PCE since March of 2021. And here's the other kind of coup de grace, as Dad would say. Spending, personal spending, was up seven-tenths. So we're seeing inflation coming down, personal spending well above expectations. I mean, Rick Santelli almost jumped off the screen when he read the personal, the, uh, the personal spending side of the number on Friday morning. And so, again, we keep talking about, is the Fed going to successfully just kiss those tires of the economy's jet softly on that runway. And as we've talked about on this program, their batting average of doing that is well below the Mendoza line for any of our baseball fans out there uh, that could go back to the 70s and know what I'm talking about. So is this time different? And from what I keep reading these past weeks, there's just there's some mea culpas coming out now in the financial entertainment press that these guys and gals have just been getting it wrong. They've just been getting it wrong. This is just one of those one-off anomalies because of the global pandemic. And that, and that may, you know, we'll have more Monday morning quarterbacking as the years go on. Uh, yeah, for sure. Whether, whether that's the case. But I, most for sure there's been a lot of cash thrown into this economy that, that otherwise would not have happened if it wasn't mm-hmm. for the global pandemic. And – and that that money uh, has definitely kept the economy afloat. Uh, the other thing it's created is this gi- ginormous debt, and debt whether it's at the government level, uh, whether it's at the uh, personal level. It, when that the when does that come into play? You know that the, the when does that 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 overhang of debt come into play into the economy? Does it ever? come into play in the economy. I I think it has to eventually. you got something to say. God, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say on personal debt, when it comes to the debt servicing of the American households, it's at some of the lowest percentages in history because their debt to income, they can service the debt. Yes, their debt is high, but they can easily service it. And as a percentage of disposable household income, it's at some of the lowest percentages in history because as inflation continues to come down, and incomes continue to go up or they get a raise and inflation comes down, that means they have more money to spend. But I have to remind all of the listeners, strong economic data is not a bad thing for the stock market longer term. You want strong economic data. Not going into a recession is a good thing for the stock market, You know, to not go into that recession. Keeping strong employment 
is not a bad thing when it comes to a strong economy and a strong stock market. So with that, let's take a quick pause. We'll take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're going to shift gears. I think, Jeff, in the first half of the show, you know, covered core PCE, came in at a two-handle. Haven't seen that since March of 2021 at 2.93%. Inflation's continuing to move in the right direction. Consumer spending is still strong, uh, up seven-tenths. GDP came in well above expectations for the first read of uh, tw- of the fourth quarter of 2023 at 3.3% on a 2% expectation. So a lot of good, strong economic data. Inflation's moving in the right direction. And, of course, the market so far is off to a very good start for 2024. I think those that would have expected stronger than, stronger than expected economic news to potentially ruin this narrative about these many, many rate cuts occurring in 2024 – that was what it was the impetus for the big the big gains last last year. Even though the economic news has been strong, what hasn't been strong so far is inflation. Inflation continues to show progress, and I think even though the economic news has been maybe a little stronger than expected, which would potentially keep the Fed from from lowering uh, from either putting off or 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 even reducing even their expectations for interest rate decreases this year, which I think was three the from the last meeting. Um, three makes more sense to me, Jeff, to be – I mean, we've talked about yeah, it on six, this program. Six was, six was, six was, totally, was insane. totally insane. Uh, but with the – and the, now we're starting to see this, this, you know, this leading economic indicator number may actually go positive here in the next few months, and, and, we, and no one will pay it any attention anymore. <laughs> That's um, right. The, the 20 negative or 21 negative months when it finally turns positive just gets shot out of cannon like it never happened. But we're going to hear from the Fed in the next week. You know, their weedings on yeah. Wednesday. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to hear what they have to say. They'll probably be happy that we're seeing progress uh, on uh, the inflation front. Uh, maybe I don't think we'll hear any language about uh, – uh, you know, any interest rate increases being data dependent. I don't think they're going to be saying anything about that. Uh, they may say something about any. I don't even think they're going to say anything about when they might expect potential interest rate cuts uh, as part of the as, as part of. So there'll probably be a big. There probably won't be a lot in there for people to really hang their hat on. Investors really hang their hat on in terms of the direction of when it's going to begin, uh, and. and 
So well, remember yeah. last meeting, he came in with a pocket full of dust. So well, it took us all kind of by surprise, and obviously the market benefited from it with that nice, strong uh, late fourth quarter rally. Is Jay Powell going to come in with more pockets full of doves? I mean, we'll see. We're going we'll to get, see. We're going to get more earnings news from those stocks that have really been driving. Drove the moon's the coming. The moon potatoes. The moon potatoes is coming next week because we've got Microsoft, we've got Apple, and we've got Google all next so week. If they come out with Tesla style, style uh, you know, earnings or guidance, that ain't going to be good. That's not going to be good, and and that that would trigger that would trigger for sure some kind of type of correction in the but markets. But wouldn't it make sense though to 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 just dial back forward guidance, keep that bar as low as possible, so it's easier in future quarters to just step over the bar as opposed to having to high hurdle it. Well, that would be the standard operating procedure for most any CEO at the beginning of the year. Yeah, is is to keep the bar as low as possible. Uh, but mm-hmm. the markets uh, might not take too kindly to low bars. So well, we'll see. Going to be an interesting week next week, uh, especially on the earnings front. In terms of, of economic news, you know, the unemployment rate, I, if we see a tenth one way or the other, I don't think it's going to make any difference. And I don't think we're going to get much out of the Fed. Uh, to give us any idea of specifically when they're going to start doing whatever the market thinks they're going to do, which is pretty typical for the Fed. So let's switch gears. Let's switch. So we got an email um, here recently from a listener uh, that had heard one of our shows, probably last week's show, when we were talking about uh, these new the new Bitcoin ETFs that were approved by the Securities and Exchange Commission. I think it's I think they've been trading now for what, 2 weeks? Couple Less than weeks, three. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, Bitcoin has been down since these ETFs came out. I thought, well, well these ETFs come out, there's going to be a bunch of money coming into them. People are going to get all excited about Bitcoin because now they can trade them via an exchange traded fund and that hasn't been the case. Was that Bitcoin. buy the rumors, sell the news? Well, it, it, it so it far it looks like it. So far, it does look like it. I. I don't have it in front of me specifically. I think at one time Bitcoin was down. Some of these Bitcoin ETFs were down, you know, double digits. You know, close to twenty percent or something. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pardon me. I'm going I'm to correct myself. Bitcoin itself was down uh, almost twenty percent here in the last few weeks. Now, this particular listener wanted to take us to, a little bit to task on our views on Bitcoin, and that's fine. All viewpoints are welcome here on the Money Wise Show. Fortunately for us, only our, only our, only our view becomes really part of the show. Uh, uh, but Since we don't take live callers anymore and have it in a long time. Callers anymore, that's right. So this, this uh, email begins with... Uh, this listener talking about how our opinion on Bitcoin wasn't much different than other money managers. And that maybe one of the reasons why our opinion was the way it was, we're not, we're not, we're not advocates for owning Bitcoin was that we didn't understand it. And so since we didn't understand it, we have to be against it. 
And further, they they went on to say that maybe one of the reasons why we're against it is that we can't offer it to our clients. So um, I wanted to unpack all this at the very beginning. And there's some money managers that are Bitcoin investors. They're on CNBC every day talking about mm-hmm. being being an investor in, in, in that in that particular asset class, if you want to call it an asset class. Saying that we don't understand it and that's why we're against it. No, I we understand it perfectly. Do I understand the technical aspect of it? No. Do I think any of our listeners understand the, all the little intricacies you know, from a technical point of view of it? No, I doubt it. What I do understand is it's a very volatile, speculative, non-dividend paying, non-interest paying, no, there's no, there, there's no product being produced, there's no, no service, service being provided. No fundamentals. There's no fundamentals, no price earnings ratios, and not a no lot balance of sheet. Yeah, no balance sheet, no income statement, no stockholders' equity. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. Aren't some of the two of the biggest exchanges that were involved in cryptocurrency now been found out as frauds, such as FTX and Binance? Hmm. True. Interesting. Very true. Okay. Sounds like something I want to get involved in. So us not wanting, you know, us not being able to offer it, I mean, that's not true. You know, anyone can buy a Bitcoin ETF now. So that's not the case. Uh, this, this how, how about this? Talk, well, hold on a second. This list sure. went on to talk about and say, you know, that the world is changing. Okay. And that there would be more and more transactions using crypto as the medium of exchange. I have no idea if that's true or not. What what I what I can tell you is that I've heard this, we've heard this over and over again ever since Bitcoin first came onto the scene. And all the other ancillary coins that went along with Bitcoin. But I still can't buy anything at HEB with Bitcoin or anywhere else in any retail establishment. Even Tesla used to take Bitcoin, and now they don't, Uh-oh. to buy their cars. And I think one of the reasons why no one ever would, at least at this juncture, has any interest in using Bitcoin as a standard of, of, of purchasing power is because it can lose multi-percents of its value in a handful of days. Or in a handful of hours. It's, it's so volatile, who would want to accept it as a currency? It doesn't, you know, it, so it, it's not, it, you know, so the, there's this dream out there that it will eventually, but that's all it is, is a dream. And it's typically, Jeff, and it's typically the huge proponents or the investors that are speaking their own book because of their high levels of investment, whether it's a Novogratz or some of the other folks that they parade on CNBC on a regular basis to talk their book, who have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars invested in cryptocurrency to try to prop it up and to perpetuate this belief 
that the U.S. dollar is going to nothing and that everyone around the world has got to use cryptocurrencies moving forward in order to survive. And I'm going to pause it right there. We're going to pick up this topic on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So wanted to continue the topic from an email that we received at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Um, again, a listener kind of uh, not – I don't want to say taking us to task, but basically, you know, disagreeing with our position on Bitcoin and really cryptocurrencies, which we do not believe in. We do not recommend for any of our listeners or investors to get involved with and the reasons why. And so, you know, was just making the point, Jeff was making the point about the volatility of the cryptocurrencies, but then all the, all the folks that are paraded out in the financial entertainment press that have all these positive things to say about cryptocurrencies, we have to understand they have an incentive to talk about that because they have tens of not hundreds of millions of dollars invested. And so they're trying to prop up or talk their own book. And so you also have to take what they have to say with a grain of salt. But after reading this email, it's obvious that this person that sent us the email has bought in to all the marketing and all the reasons why cryptocurrency exists. But here's the thing, as we were talking in the last segment, in order for cryptocurrencies to become legal tender to exchange for goods and services, it cannot have the types of price fluctuations that it has on a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour day-to-day basis. So in order to do that, it has to have a lot much, a lot more and a higher level of government regulation and oversight. But if that was to occur, that flies completely in the face of why cryptocurrency was originally created, to get away and create a decentralized form of currency away from government-provided forms of currency, be it the U.S. dollar. And this this listener wrote in the email that the U.S. dollar is going to zero. Okay, not going to happen, period. I'll bet my career on it. U.S. dollar is not going to zero. I will say one of the things that this listener said is the U.S. dollar will eventually decline and become worth less and less. Well, the U.S. dollar fluctuates on a daily basis. Buys less and less every year, has bought, bought less and less every year of my life. Due to monetary inflation, has bought has bought less and less every year for our parents' lives, which are almost eighty years. That's called inflation. But the dollar's never been worthless. It just takes more dollars to buy the same goods same and amount. services. Yeah, but it's never been worthless. And this is this is folks that. I see this tendency, the same folks that's, that, that think the dollar is going to be worthless, but they, they'll never, they can never tell you when it's going to be worthless. It's just going to be. 
It's like folks predicting the end of the world. They can't tell you when, but it, they know what's out there, right? <laughs> so I want to put my money into cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is never going to be worthless, right? It's never going to go down in value. You know, what was it several years ago? Over $60,000, and at one time yeah. it was below twenty here in the last year. Yeah, it got now, up to over sixty-four thousand dollars um, on November twelfth of twenty-one. Has the purchasing power of of the U.S. dollar declined by more than half in a couple of years? No, I don't think so. Mm-mm. It hasn't. Uh, and the other, and and the other, and the other function for cryptocurrency to go up in value is you have to have more people wanting to buy it than sell it, which means you have to constantly have this marketing machine because, as we said in the last segment, has no fundamentals, has no product, has no service, has no earnings, has no profit margins, has none of that, produces nothing. Okay, so in order for it to go up in value, you have to have a marketing machine. And folks, I've you know, like this this listener who's touting how great crypto is, obviously has money invested in it and is trying to gather as many people as they can to drive up the price to benefit themselves. And this is why I've always said in the last week's show talked about the greater fool theory. You have to be a great marketer to fool someone that this basic electronic ledger in the sky is worth more than it was bought a month ago for. That's all it is. It's all about marketing. It's That's yeah. it. That's why it exists. But cryptocurrency is a digital ledger. That's it. And this digital ledger is used for a multitude of illicit activities. I wouldn't want to be involved and anything like that. I wouldn't want my assets to support an industry that deals in things of like, like that. I don't know why any of our listeners would want to invest in something that supports these type of things, things like drug dealing, sex trafficking, human trafficking, kidnap and ransom, fraud. I mean, two of the yeah. biggest go, crypto exchanges were, were deemed go, frauds. Go read what... We, we talked about this when we talked about crypto, you know, a few shows ago. Go read what the CEO of one of the biggest banks in the planet who deals with dollars every day said about crypto. Go read what he said. Now, he's not a money manager. He doesn't, he, he's not, he doesn't manage people's investments. He has no axe to grind with that respect. And I don't think this organization sells an ETF that, that invests in Bitcoin. It's J.P. Morgan. It's Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan. Go read what he has to say about cryptocurrency. And I think the other reason why so many money managers are not positive on cryptocurrencies is because of our experience, because we understand what a true investment and a true asset class is. And when we look at cryptocurrency, we see none of that. We just see a get-rich-quick, driven type of investor on nothing more than something that's that's been created on a computer ledger. That's all we see. 
that's driven by marketing and speculation only. It's a digital casino. Driven by hype. It's driven by hype. Hype and marketing. So this is the reason why us, along with other money managers, do not recommend it to to investors. It's just we'll not it's not so. fundamentally sound, and we'll continue to do so. You know, and not only Jamie Dimon, but the late great Charlie Munger. Go look up his quote. I can't say it on this radio show because it part of his quote has some seven deadlies that we can't say on terrestrial radio. We could maybe say it on our podcast. Go look up his quote about digital currency. The late great Charlie Munger, who was Warren Buffett's partner at Berkshire Hathaway. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you 
and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, Mm -hmm. is... On the radio, as, as as it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably. Five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity-indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity-indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. 
the return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity-indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, they're basically one step below government bonds in, okay. terms, of, in terms of safety. As a, I mean, and, and return. And then return. You know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if, so, if that bank should fail. So... So with this in mind, knowing that equity-indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other, end of the, on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, 
you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is a... This is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster 
equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness, and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And, and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. and Ms. Client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of the sales pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making yeah, it a little more dramatic. You may be making bit, it a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500. And the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index. So I get all the upside. But then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 
you're capped at four. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Wise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity 
Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will go so inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses but you must stay in that investment for the entire well there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules there's for different the investing, but but i can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus and when i say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more yeah and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if it were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index annuities. Going to get all the upside and none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principals of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths 
when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert, on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA into the sales force. And you keep saying EIA equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity putting $100,000 into it, you can almost assure yourself that about $20,000 of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, "Well, Kyle, I put in $100,000 and I've got $100,000 in my account." That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've, I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold, returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to 2% annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their, uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal, where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal Uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out. It, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Um, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there in the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several. Years this was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're the my blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and, you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity-indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after same, man, all fees and after expenses. all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and come. You, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any, any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.